I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. If we were trying to describe to a third grader what a business does, we might say something like this. Number one, we try to attract the right customer. And number two, we try to attract the right employee. When it comes to the customer side of the coin, we all are familiar with our marketing and sales efforts to be able to attract those people. When it comes to the employee side of the equation, we all are familiar with our efforts to be able to interview and get people on the right seat in the right bus. However, most organizations do not use some of the skills and the distinctions in their branding to be able to attract the right customer in their ability to attract the right employee. In short, most organizations have commercial branding strategies. They do not have employer branding strategies. And my next guest on the business of intuition is actually created and have become the leader in this niche marketing effort around employer branding. And his name is Brian Adams. Brian is the CEO and founder of PH Creative, recognized as one of the leading employer brand agencies in the world. And PH specializes in building world-class employer brands and EVP, which stands for Employer Value Proposition and Talent Engagement Strategies for companies such as Apple, American Airlines, British Telecom, Virgin, and ExxonMobil. Brian is a specialist speaker and a two-time best-selling author of Getting Goosebumps that was published in 2015, and Give and Get Employer Branding, which was published in 2020. He is considered a prominent employee brand thought leader, and his creative, unconventional, and even controversial methodologies are said to regularly change the way people think about employer branding and employer value proposition. Brian Adams on the Business of Intuition. Well, Brian, it's great to have you as a guest on the show today. And I, uh, we, you know, it's a very snowy day here. You know, I think it's the 2nd of March, 2023, when you and I had this conversation. I think you're, you're on uh, the interview coming from England. I'm sure the weather's a bit uh, different over there, maybe a little wetter, but we're in it. We're still in this um, environment where the um, pandemic and supply chain issues, uh, now the economy is is still making it firmly a an environment where employees have more choices. You know, we still are seeing a lot of what you might call a great resignation, where the power shift has maybe gone from the employer to the employee. And of course, these things bouncing back all the time. You know, we've you've seen it, I've seen it, our listeners have, have seen it as well. But you have a point of view that I think is really interesting, which is that we should actually kind of create an employer brand, which would, in a sense, repel certain people who might want to work for us. Tell me why you want to repel, because the common um, sense would say, no, we want to be able to have as many people as possible. Let's get hundreds of, of, of uh, applicants and we'll find a way of getting it down to the, the, the select few. But why do you want to repel them? 
So, yeah, I mean, great question, uh, Dean. And thanks for having me on, by the way. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. So we work in a, in a space called employer branding. So we specialize in helping large global brands find great talent using an, an employer brand. And, and the idea here is most organizations, they want to be known as the best or the most attractive brand because that's what attracts talent towards them. Actually, I've never met a TA leader, a talent attraction leader who wants just more applicants. There's a whole industry that exists trying to deal with a blizzard of, of applications. And the, the goal is to try and find the qualified ones. Now, if you've got a well-defined culture, you can hire people based on skill set and capability, but actually, whether they match or add to the culture, whether they stick around, whether they see the value in what you've got to offer, you know, that's where the magic lies. And, and if, if you're upfront with the challenges somebody might face and essentially better set expectations as to what they might find, then candidates are going to make a better informed decision. Some might decide not to apply at all, and that's okay. And the idea is, if you talk about the adversities and the challenges you would face, some people will be put off by that, and mm. some people will want to lean in. And if, if those people apply for the role because of the adversities and challenges, not despite them, then that probably is going to make for a great employee. So you're, it's interesting, you're, sir, you're saying that part of the branding would actually be revealing these adversities and these challenges that the company may be undertaking versus almost like a Facebook post which says everything looks great, we're all shiny-faced people with great teeth, and the organization is moving forward, all those sort of platitudes that we want to make sure that people think that we're doing well. But you're actually saying that maybe we want to call out some of the, the warts in our organization because we need people to help us move through this. Is that kind of your point of view? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is you can spend two minutes on Glassdoor and read the schizophrenic version of yeah. the truth anyway, right? You know, and uh, the average candidate spends between four and six hours researching your company when they're deciding whether to progress in your recruitment process. So, so actually, you know, you can never control the narrative, but you can hev heavily influence it. So if you call some of those things out and justify it in the context of the business strategy, the the vision and the, the purpose of the organization and what you stand for from a values perspective, then now people can make a more informed decision. And best of all, you've been very upfront with what they might face and challenge. Like, you know, we worked with with Apple a few years ago and they have very work very little work life balance. Mm -hmm. Now now I can show you thousands of people in Apple who actually thrive in that environment and love it and wouldn't have it any other way. In fact, we spoke to the engineers who would work 14 hours in, in Apple's office and go home and carry on coding because they were obsessed. You know, so they wouldn't be put off by the challenge of very little work-life balance, but a lot of people would. So it's in everybody's interest to be upfront about those sorts of things. That's fascinating. So you mentioned earlier, Ryan, about commercial branding versus employer branding. Mm -hmm. Do we need both? I think they're two sides of the same coin. They all should align. And 99% of the value you know, we deliver comes down to whether it aligns with the rest of the business strategy. You know, So it should stem from the same values. It should point towards the same vision. However, your consumer audience 
sometimes overlaps with your employee audience, but but never 100% really. Um, you know, so it's horses for courses. Explaining the employee experience and building a reputation as an employer is different to being attractive uh, to a consumer audience, you know, and it's just about great strategy. And I think you'd probably agree that people are the only competitive advantage left in business, right. you know, so why wouldn't right. you have a very compelling strategy to it's not just find the best, most capable people, but level set expectations so they know what they're going to find and build and foster a strong, cohesive culture to drive the business forward. So then the employer brand and the commercial brand would essentially be just two different strategies for branding the organization. Your point is that we've got different audiences who might be the same, but often might be different. All right, I get your point on that. And then why have you decided, Brian, to put your stake in the ground personally on that side of the fence, that side of the coin, where one might say, well, let's stick with the commercial side. I mean, that's where most people are are familiar and, and we don't have to go through the education process of saying, no, you should invest your money in being the employer brand, which might be a little bit more of a heavy lift. Why go the difficult route? Well, it's an interesting one, actually, because... 12 years ago, when we made the decision to specialize and focus in this little niche, speaking openly and honestly, it was because marketing directors of Fortune 100 companies wouldn't return our call and <laughs> HR people would. They were friendlier, they were interested and so on and so forth. But actually, what we very quickly found was it's, it's, a, it's the more human side of the, of the, the branding coin. And we can make a huge difference to, to thousands, if not millions of people's lives by giving them an opportunity to, to work somewhere where they feel like they can get a sense of purpose, impact, and belonging. It's an incredibly rewarding area of branding. You've also seemed to put a stake in the ground around being the defender of happiness. I noticed that in your website. It's, a, it's an interesting word. Reminds me of Tony Shea from Zappos, who had wrote a book about the same topic around delivering happiness. So you've sort of now gone a little more deeper in just not only being a, a branding company for employers, but that the, the value proposition in a sense, tell me if I'm wrong, Brian, is around this quality of culture and this quality of happiness at a culture. Tell us more about maybe how organizations can can brand themselves that way? Because I don't think anybody out there would say that they would disagree, that they would not want a culture of some sort of happiness that would be permeating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, let's call it for what it is. Happy people are typically more productive and that's good for business. Mm. We can align the happiness of our people with the direction of the organization. They don't need to be in tension. You know, that's the point. They can overlap and, and align perfectly. And, you know, it's interesting when you introduce our conversation talking about the pendulum swinging, the supply and demand from employer to employee. We now live in a world where, you know, millennials and Gen Z know exactly what they're looking for. They have expectations and standards that are unrelenting and they're not willing to compromise. And the organizations that have the empathy and the compassion and the foresight to overlay what people are looking for with what's right for the business, they're the ones that are going to win. So even if the pendulum swings towards 
the organization to to favor the the employer what if you don't react to that and you still do right by people would you right. win over the long term and you know i think that's the macro trend i would agree a hundred percent absolutely so can you sort of give the the listeners to this interview any sort of advice or tips around how you might be able to create that that value proposition from the employer to the potential employee? How do we start to create that construct or are there certain exercises, certain questions you might want a team to consider answering to bring them further into that, that value proposition uh, discussion? Yeah, absolutely. So it all starts with research and we we basically give the organization a good listening to, and we look at the the employee view, which is where we get the warts and all um, view of reality today. You know, what people have to put up with, the frustrations, the sacrifices, the commitments. You know, and we can find out, okay, well, why did you join? Why did you? Why do you stay? You know, where do you find a sense of purpose, impact, and belonging in this organization? Then we look at the leadership view. So that's usually the aspirational. Um, view of the organization on the best day and also an indication of where the organization is going in the future. Um, and that's important because an authentic employer brand can still be aspirational and actually it should be a sharp tool to, to lead the organization into the future as well. And then the final one is the market view. You know, We want to differentiate against a sea of sameness that is quite often apparent. We want to be more relevant to the talent audience than our competitors. And we want to be compelling and memorable, so so it's effective when we are um, we are recruiting the the best talent out there. And you know, if we can if we can find what is giving people a sense of purpose, impact, and belonging that is good for business, we can then decide, okay, what reputation as an employer do we need? You know, strategically, there's three buckets of reputation. One is culture which employer brand is very well known for. The second is career catalyst. So if you think of companies like Amazon, you know they haven't got a reputation for being warm and fuzzy, but if you can stick it out for two years, you, you know, you're damn sure you can go work pretty much anywhere on the planet if you do well there. And then the third and final one, which is actually rising in, in priority, is this idea of citizenship. So are you an organization that you can you set out to leave the world better than you found it. And typically organizations fall into um, one of those three categories. So Patagonia uh, is a good example for citizenship. Salesforce, HubSpot, Ben & Jerry's, Unilever are good examples of culture. Um, McKinsey and Amazon are good examples of career catalysts. So understanding who you are as a culture and the talent you need um, is, is the first place to start. And then set out a give and get proposition very clearly. It's like, hey, come here and grow your career faster than anywhere else. Access our learning and development. Learn from amazing people all around us. Um, and you will benefit from, you know, and, and just tell the story as clear as that. You know, and, and if, you, if you can achieve those simple basic steps and create alignment with your vision, values, and, and mission, then you've got some semblance of an employer brand that will start to serve you well. I love it. The career, excuse me, the the, cat, the, the culture, the career catalyst and the citizenship, I think you're right on on that. 
I've noticed at times that the CEO and his or her team bring, believe in their own branding. You know, they they are consumers of their own Kool-Aid. You know, they actually think they are as good as they say they are, and yet they're not in touch with the supervisor, the frontline manager. And so where the real culture really lives and breathes, they're, they're miles apart from it, but they somehow feel like everybody is on the same page. So I'm, I'm thinking about a conversation with you and your company, and I'm an organization that believes in our own brand, but is not connected to the real people who are doing the work. And it must be somewhat of a wake-up call when you start doing this research. Like, wait a minute, you guys, we just assessed your people, the market, et cetera, and it's not as good as you thought. In fact, you're broken in ways that you never realized. The, uh, Jim Collins talks about this in uh, How the Mighty Fall, that we've got some major blind spots here. Do you uncover those blind spots? Is that part of your process? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you've hit the nail on the head. We always hold a mirror up to our clients and there's always some degree of shock. Um, you know, because, well, it's interesting, isn't it? One that, that pops up quite a lot lately is we'll interview the senior leadership of a large organization and they will tell you um, how inclusive the organization is. And it's very inclusive and, you know, but of course, as a leader of the organization, you're included in everything. You're welcome in any room. You can voice your own opinion whenever you want. You are always, yes. you know, so in your bubble, it's very inclusive, uh, but typically not everybody's perspective is the same. So we hold up a mirror and we look for those common themes. We look for the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities to improve, and we build employer brand from the ground up based on um, the truth that we find. And not not every organization um, likes what we find initially, but most organizations we've found, they do accept it and they do build strategy around it. Sometimes they will embrace the harsh realities and build pride and acknowledgement around standards. And uh, other times, a lot of our work creates uh, the need for organizational change. So interesting you say that. So we do a lot of strategic planning with organizations and executive teams and boards. We do a lot of work on culture, which could be multifactorial over many months, maybe even years. And as we get into these plans and these visions, we start to automatically see the branding opportunity that this becomes a marriage between the strategy and the brand. In fact, the, the brand should be a part of the uh, upfront conversations about where we want to go and how we want to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I can see the handoff to branding happening all the time. And we do it all the time. We bring in branding people. We talk to them. We want them to be a part of the process. Do you see the reverse also happening whereby you're working on branding? Oh my gosh, I'm the CEO of an organization. I'm shocked that the information that Brian and his team just gave me indicates many things that I didn't realize. I know what I want. I have the vision for what this culture should be like, but it's not that. So either one, I have, I am, I'm just in shock and I got to go have a stiff drink somewhere and, and get over the, the, the fear of what I've created here. You know, I've created a monster and I am it. And I can't do anything right now with you, Brian, because we don't have the kind of culture to be able to be authentic for the kind of brand that we want to create for attracting employees. Uh, do you find that happening? Or, or do you find that people say, great work, we now also need to work on brand, but 
simultaneous to that, we've got to start working on our culture. We got to start working on our organization. And how does yeah. that work? Building Absolutely. the plane while you're flying. Mm -hmm. So um, that's exactly right. So typically what happens is we will um, understand the direction of travel and what the vision uh, looks like, understand reality, and then clearly understand the aspiration and the conviction to change so we can build a strategic framework around where we are and where we're going. And as long as we tell the story of where we are and where we're going, it's both authentic and inspirational. But you're right, Dean, it then does set off a chain reaction of, right, if we're going to live up to that, we now need to lean into affecting that change. Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm sure many companies will just be nodding their head as they hear that. You know, you you sometimes don't want to know. <laughs> don't ask the question when you don't want to know the answer. And when you start going down a path of branding or going down a path of, of culture work or strategic planning, don't be surprised if all of a sudden you uncover a bunch of other things that you didn't imagine. Can you give any sort of like a before and after example of a company that you worked with? Kind of give us an overarching perspective on, you know, where were they before? Where were they when they left? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, every organization is 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 different. You know, but typically, if we work with an organization that hasn't had an employer brand before, you know, they 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 might be proud of their their culture and it might be a fantastic environment. But rather than it remain organic, we we then bring an element of tangibility and focus to it. Um, you know, so so typically we will uncover natural strengths. We will uncover all of the reasons why people stay, and then we'll start to build a bank of purpose-told stories that reinforce those themes and mm. start to become guiding principles and a self-fulfilling prophecies where people can actually see it and spot it and um, start to appreciate it in others. And, you know, and it sort of, it, it's, it starts to, the snowball starts to, to, to go from, from there. Um, organizations that already have an employer brand, typically the value we bring is making sure it's still relevant and it's fresh and, and, um, still believable. Um, you know, but, but essentially it's those guardrails that, that really do start to tangibly bring the culture to life, um, and allow people to make independent decisions knowing that it will be consistent with what's expected um you know and it, it's well it's right there in the, the front of uh, the front of our book give and get employer branding the very condensed version is employees managers leaders everybody knows what they have to give and what they stand to get in return it's just about very clear expectations so you've got some nice clients, L'Oreal, Nike, Aerids, uh, ExxonMobil, Apple, Microsoft. I mean, these are these are the big girls and boys out there in the world. Mm -hmm. Are you do you find that people who are in smaller organizations can also take action in this particular area? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the degree of sophistication and um, the layers of complexity can all be stripped away. The principles are exactly the same. You know, if you can if you can build a culture and environment and set expectations of the employee experience from the ground up, it's much easier than changing the monster that you grow and inherit you know, later down the line. Um, but the, the principles are free. The, you know, the principles are exactly the same in any size organization. 
So I have to ask you, one entrepreneur to another, and these are things that I've noticed in my life after doing this for a while, that I remember there was a day we were doing some sort of team building event with a group, and it just sort of, this was a long time ago, dawned on I me, mean, like, my gosh, you guys, you know, we're a small group, but we're not even operating like the team that we are helping our clients become. We have to become, you know, we have to eat our own food. You know, we, if we're the chef, let's go and taste it. Let's ingest it. And, you know, and I think it's, you know, the fast paced world, you're always trying to get this stuff out and you're trying to make sure that people are getting it quickly. Do you feel, do you and your company have the same discipline to walk the talk that you hope your, your clients are following? Funny you ask, because just a couple of years ago, we had like a existential crisis of exactly those questions. And we did down tools and we forced ourselves to look inward and, and start to articulate who we are, what we stand for. And, you know. and then since then, my team have held me accountable and taken up the mantle to, to sort of do that. And what we found is the, the bigger the companies we, we work with now, part of the process of getting to know each other is proving that we know who we are. We can walk the walk. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've tasted our own dog food, as, as you put it, you know. So we've been forced to go through that journey. And, you know, pleased to report, we've also enjoyed the spoils of that as well. But um, I've been in business 19 years now, and we're probably only in recent years we, have we got a house in order. Yeah, I, I, I find that to be true as well. So you mentioned, based on your website, that, no, and based on our conversation before we started this interview, that you have lived in San Diego, but also in you know over and across the pond, as you say. Um, tell us about the size of your company, and um, and also start giving us some ideas about how we can connect with you. Yeah, sure. So there's about 130 of us spread across UK, Europe, North America, South America, and New Zealand. Um, you know, we're calibrated to work with global brands with complex talent audiences, so the Nikes and Fords of, of the world. But we work with mid-sized organizations. We love funded startups with very aggressive growth targets. Like that's always that's always fun. Um, you know, we do employee experience, um, talent attraction, the full strategic gambit, right down to the the tactical marketing aspects. You know, that's that's where we love to play. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you type Brian Adams, just like the singer, um, PH Creative, I'll, I'll come up, or Employer Branding, um, that's fine. Or obviously check out our website, which is um, ph-creative.com. And uh, give and get Employer Branding, our latest book is uh, available in all good bookshops, but um, it's, uh, it's right there on, on Amazon. I think it's still number one for if you search for Employer Branding. And what's the other book that you wrote prior to that? I forgot the name of it. It's called uh, um, Getting Goosebumps. So it's mm. it's about it's largely about a, a marketer's journey to tell great story and the idea that if you can tell a compelling story such that you can change somebody's physical state, I give them um, goosebumps, mm. and that's the pinnacle of communication, and that's what we that's what we always set out to achieve. That's great. And so you, I could see that this would be an interesting challenge for you in that you could easily start to adopt or bring on other service lines, you know, job placement, for example, you know, executive coaching, training development, um, HR services, you know, those sort of ancillary things that, that connect to brand. 
Mm-hmm. Did you? And um, how? And if you didn't, how did you keep yourself from staying too disparate, too too spread out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they say experience is learning from mistakes. So you could say I've I've got a lot of experience in that area. So you know we've we have been broad, and you know now we stick in our lane. Proud of the reputation we've got. I think we're known as one of the best employer brand agencies in the world, and that's that's due to staying true to just a very small number of services that we can do at a world-class standard. And the only the only distinction to that is we do have a career website technology called Happy Dance. And I believe that is the the best career website technology on the market. It's obviously closely aligned to what we do. So we we are very, very strict about sticking in our swim lane. Wonderful. Brian, it's been really great to talk to you. No, it's my pleasure, Dean. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.